This is the Book Ride Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 200, recording on Friday, March 10th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookride.com, episode 200. I feel like confetti should fall from my office ceiling yeah. now. Maybe I'll have to make a special, um, like I do the Christmas lights one. I'll do like a birthday cake or, you know, <gasps> yeah, I'll do some yes. kind of a clip art situation. Maybe for some the, fireworks or something. Yeah. So if you're looking down at your phone or whatever right now and you see like um, kind of uh, awkwardly... Um, Obnoxious uh, confetti or <laughs> candles on the on the don't logo. Blame that's why. That's, that, don't blame it on Scott. Blame it on me. The blame is mine and mine alone. Um, thank you. So, we we started almost four years ago in May of uh, 2013 is when we started. Um, so it's almost four years. 200 is a nice round number. I guess we could celebrate whatever specific day it was in May as well. Um, and some people asked us about the showdown, so we won't talk about it too much now. To, but thank you all so much for listening. Um, quick reminder, too, I saw uh, Chris, I think, Greaves tweeting about it this morning. Uh, and thank you so much, Chris, for taking the mid-roll media survey for the show. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes and in the description. You can click right in after you've swiped past the uh, birthday cake logo. Uh, you can go to podsurvey.com slash riot to, to fill it out or just click on the link there. It takes a few minutes. tells our, our advertising partner, mid-roll, you know, that does our third love and Casper spots and some of our other stuff. Um, who you are, what you're interested in, what you're not interested in, make the spots better, help support the show and that we get more and more targeted advertising. And hopefully from a user or a listener experience, you get a little better ads, you know, stuff that maybe fits the general um, listenership of, of our audience. So thank you so much for taking a few minutes to do that. And uh, while we're plugging things, uh, we have a new limited edition shirt in the Book Riot store available for those readers who are of the resistorly persuasion. Uh, <laughs> I'm making words up mm-hmm. as we go. Uh, it's a Nolit Tebestardis Carborundurum, which is Don't Let the Bastards Grind You Down, famous from The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, it's a pretty rad design, if I do say so myself. That one you can give credit to Scott for. Yeah. Uh, and he's mostly behind the scenes, but we can give him shouts on the podcast here. Uh, it is available exclusively for pre-order through March 24th. And after that, it's probably going to go away. Mm-hmm. So if you want one, you can click the link in the show notes that Jeff will have here, or you can go to store.bookriot.com. You'll see it right at the top of the Book Riot store. Snag it. I think it's 24 bucks. There's a traditional sort of crew neck style and a new uh, looser women's fit, uh, which I find to be quite delightful and comfortable. Uh, so you can check that out, store.bookriot.com and order it by March 24th. Yeah, for those of you who haven't tr- checked out store.bookriot.com, I might say we're coming into moms, dads, and grads buying season. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good bookish stuff there. T-shirts, handbags, yep. you know, our, our partners with Outer Print and our own unique uh, original designs. Um, go to store.bookriot.com, browse, find something for your graduate, your mom, your dad, or, you know, yourself. That That's okay, too. We won't tell anybody. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's good deals coming up, too, for uh, Mother's Day and yeah. graduate stuff. I have some fun uh, sales planned, so yeah. check that out. Yeah, but Rebecca's don't in charge one. of that on our side. I don't know if people know that, but that's one of the many the many uh, multi-splendorous hats that uh, Rebecca wears. <laughs> let's do questions. I'll take multi-splendorous. Shall we, are we ready? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, okay. So thank you guys so much for writing in. We got, we're, we'll try to get to what we, ha- what we have here. We may not get to all of them, but we'll, we'll do as quick as we can with some of these. Some of them are faster, some of them are longer. Top one, I think we're going to end with a, a bang and begin with a bang in terms of big questions. But this is from Victoria. She says, just want to know what made you create Book Riot, and has that vision changed over the years of you being a book site? Um, well, 
I mean, I mean, you have to start the answer yeah, here. I mean, I guess what made you do it? Well, no one made us do it. Uh, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the idea was um, my friend Clint and I, who've been friends since college, my, you know, we started the site together. Um, we're both, I mean, part of it is we're both looking for a gig. I was looking for teaching jobs and he was just coming out of a startup job. And so we both kind of were in the, in the market for something. So that's one thing, like want to do work, you know, have jobs and money. Um, so we thought, you know, maybe we could make something. But the other idea was, I think we talked about this a little bit on last show with the New York Times um, rejiggering, reorienting, whatever, its book coverage. That's what we were thinking about, you know, six, almost six years ago now. When we, uh, it was April of 2011 when we first decided to do it. It's like, you know, there's a lot of stuff. People love books, but there's only one basically acceptable format for talking about books and it's a review or maybe a profile and in an interview. And we're like, boy, isn't that boring. And we were seeing what was going on in the wider book blogging world. I had a book blog. Rebecca had a book blog. Amanda had a book blog. Um, you know, we were all blogging in this sort of this smaller area. And basically our idea was what if we got, you know, the people we thought were doing the most interesting work individually and put them under one umbrella, put some tech behind it, you know, had our own ad sales and do those sorts of things. Could you make something out of it? Um, and that was the original idea. And, you know, I was thinking about this question the last few days. I don't think the vision has changed all that much. Have you? Do you? Am I right? Yeah, I mean, no, we do I... more to serve that idea. But, like, the ba- I mean, I wrote this blurb um, about the site when it launched, and I think I reshared it on its fourth or fifth birthday. And I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Damn it. That really holds up. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that recently, too, and that the the thing that I've said about Book Riot in sales meetings, like basically from the very beginning, my elevator pitch for it has been the same, that it was about creating a place where no matter what kind of books you were into, if you thought of yourself as a reader, if books were central yeah. to who you are as a person, you could come on any day and find something that you would relate to, uh, and that we wouldn't expect you to like everything, uh, but that you would find something, and that it ranges. I think in the mission statement thing, you know, that we range from silly to serious, you know, sometimes in the very same sentence. From J.M. Kutze um, to J.K. Rowling. I remember that. Yeah, phrase. I remember writing that it, phrase and thinking it wasn't bad. Um, yeah, no, time. that's not a bad one. It has stuck with us. But yeah, I think the vision for who, who Book Riot is for mm-hmm. has stayed the same. And over the last five and a half years, how we serve those people and bring them into the community and find new, not just readers now, but listeners and customers and event attendees and, you know, sort of all those things has changed, um, has has just gotten bigger. Like it has more arms, you know, Book Riot had sort of one arm at the very beginning and that's the site. And now five posts a day at the beginning, like five text posts a day. That's all we did. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy to look more of like a Hydra in the best possible way, but the vision, uh, sort of the guiding vision of how, we decide what to do and what not to do and uh, like whose opinion or criticism to care about and who's to not care about and how we get to what matters to us has has stayed the same. It's a good question. I think I'm, it's a little easier for me to understand now what we do because I I think of it now as we are in the business of providing services that readers would find useful, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, so the daily deal, you know, finding which deals are interesting is kind of hard, actually, because for a variety of reasons that are too boring to go into now. Um, news. Uh, niche. Uh, one thing that's really grown over the last couple of years is like, you know, genre and niche content. Uh, one thing that's la- – we're having a new uh, uh, email newsletter that's launching in April called Book Radar, which is future releases. If you want to be – not just what's new this week, but you want to know what's coming in three, six, nine months, whether you're a bookseller or a librarian or a blogger or just – you're that excited. Um, 
that you know that's one thing we the specialization you know subspecialization is something that's changed but i think it serves you know it still falls in the larger rubric of trying to help readers have a more interesting bookish life you know that's what the the idea of the site is um so it really hasn't changed that much. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we do things because we want to do them, but most often we're making a new thing because we want to make it and we think it solves a reader problem yeah. of some kind. We, we try really hard not to fall into the thing that we criticize so many um, mm-hmm. publishers and app developers and stuff for. Of like, well, this is cool, but no one wanted it yeah. to begin with, except you. You thought it was a good idea. Or this would um, be great for us if a thousand billion people used it, not thinking that in order for a thousand right. billion people to use it, it has to be worth something. Right. It has to be useful. Um, but that's sort of been the thinking all along, which is not to say that, you know, all of our ideas have been no. good. No, no, no. I mean, we've, I mean, we could do, you know, you can tell stories of companies in a variety of different ways. Like you can tell stories based on successes or failures. There's a lot of stuff that we closed or changed or did differently um, that we didn't, you know, if we had perfect um, vision, but I think we get more right than we get wrong. Um, I think we've also been very good about being lean um, so that we don't have a lot of overhead and we can try a lot of different stuff. And since we're digital, you know, if we want to launch a newsletter or a podcast, it doesn't cost us, you know, we have to build a warehouse and a retail store. Yeah, the spin up cost tech. for new things or like the cost of taking a risk is usually yeah. relatively low right. for us. And we've had enough failures that we've survived now to know that if we do a new thing and it doesn't work, we're not going to die. Yeah. You can't uh, be afraid so, of screwing up. I mean, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't be afraid of getting it wrong, but you also can't bet so much of your um, nut, you know, like gambler, you know, you can't, you can't bet so much of your role that a, a one or two beats takes you out right. of the game. Um, you have to gamble with the money you can afford to lose and you hope that it pays off. Uh, you know, a classic example is we had a, we did our own Reddit style, um, you know, sites, news.bookride.com and uh, deals.bookride.com were upvote and people could use or submit. And neither of them really worked, except people loved the deals part, but they weren't submitting deals because you know what? The problem wasn't people sharing deals, the people was finding them in the first place. And so then that morphed in the Book Ride Deals newsletter, which I curate. So the problem there was people finding deals, not sharing them and upvoting them. Um, so, you know, you, things can morph over time too and change. So, that's that's that question, um, but yeah, it's. I don't think we'd if we. I think we'd be. The, if we sort of had a uh, you know uh, a time machine and you showed us a peak of the company, six years in the future when we started it, we'd be like, okay, you know, it's not. It was there's not like a huge yeah. pivot towards like um, I, I don't know, mattresses or you know uh, you know or or, or uh, we're all ebook right. deals and that's our only product or something like that or we're we're yeah. we're an imprint of someone like. I think we could you could say okay I see the how this trajectory worked out. Uh, let's right, do a sponsor. Question. Yeah, yeah, good, one to start. good one to start. This week is The Bone Witch by Rin Chupico. This is about T. T is different from the other witches in her family. Her gift of necromancy makes her a bone witch. Bone witches are feared and ostracized in the kingdom. Great power, however, comes at a price, forcing T to leave her homeland to train under the guidance of an older, wiser bone witch. There, T puts all of her energy into becoming an Asha, learning to control her elemental magic and those beasts who will submit by no other force. And he must be strong, stronger than she even believes possible, because war is brewing in the Eight Kingdoms, war that will threaten the sovereignty of her homeland and threaten the very survival of those she loves. The Bone Witch has been called Memoirs of a Geisha meets The Name of the Wind. The writing is very lyrical, but also action-packed. This is the first in a new fantasy series. Ren Chupico is an acclaimed author, uh, and you might know her from her super creepy horror novel, The Girl from the Well and the Suffering. Oh, but this that's book her, is- girl. 
girl from the yeah. well? Uh. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Yeah, this is not horror. It's fantasy with eerie elements. Uh, sounds good to you. Maybe you need something to read over the coming weeks. Check it out. Again, it's called The Bone Witch by Rin Chapico. We'll have a link in the show notes. You can find it wherever books are sold. Okay. Um, so this one is from Chloe. I'm not going to read your whole your question, Chloe. She's asking about getting out of a reading slump. Um, she's mm-hmm. not currently in one herself, but said she's been one before. And when she was in one before, the recommendations that she got was find a book you could sink your into, but that didn't really work because she does that anyway. So what's our, our takes on reading slumps in general? Have we had them? What do we do? Rebecca, you, you want to start? What's your... Yeah. What's your... Oh, man. I've had them. Everybody's yeah. had them. Like, I think whatever your thing is that you love in life, you still go through mm-hmm. points where you just are either aren't interested in that thing. I had a huge reading slump for like um, a lot of 2016. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because of was, reasons that we don't want to go because into. Because yeah. of reasons. Right. It, was just, it was just hard to focus yeah. on reading or get that feeling out of it that I usually get out of it. Um, part of Chloe's question is how to best push through and how to pick the right books. And, you know, I'm going to say, Chloe, I'm not going to answer your question there. I think that the thing in my experience the thing to do with a reading slump is instead of trying to muscle through it, just accept that that's the thing that's happening to you Mm. and do something else that you enjoy instead. Like if no book is doing it for you, then maybe the thing you need right then is not a book. Maybe you need a 12 hour Netflix binge or like a three hour walk in the park or a nap. I don't know. Uh, But that's for me, like accepting that that's the thing just takes some of the frustration out of it. And then you don't feel so like, why can't I read? What's the matter with me? I should be, I'm a book person. I should be reading. It's like, well, I'm still a book person. I'm just uh, like, we're on a break. It's like Ross and Rachel, but we're going to get back together. Um, And then eventually it does always happen. Like a a day comes that I want to pick up a book again. Um, If you don't want to go there, if you don't want to accept the slump, I think maybe change formats, like switch mm-hmm. to an audiobook and like take a nice walk and listen to a funny audiobook, something that will just take you outside of yourself and serve that function that reading serves, but um, that can feel different from like sitting down trying to focus on the pages. What do you do, Jeff? Yeah, I was going to say so, uh, switch, you know, if you don't read ebooks, try an ebook. Um, if you don't do an audiobook, try an audiobook. If you don't read print, try print because sometimes that's enough to jar. I don't really go through reading slumps. I'm what happens to me more is that I will not prioritize reading over other things. Like mm-hmm. I don't really go into a slump. It's like, and like you said, some of it is because TV is good for, you know, like if, if a bunch of Netflix shows come out, you know, I'm watching Jessica, jo- I'm just, you know, my nighttime is Jessica Jones or we're going out or it's nice or whatever. But I do find sometimes I'm a little bored of my reading. If that makes sense, it's different mm-hmm. than a reading slump where I'm just like, haven't read anything, you know, that really shook, blow my hair back, or I don't find that motivated to like really be excited about reading. And that for me is one go-to that's worked for me is graphic novels. So I kind of go, I go in binges and spurts with graphic novels where I won't read them for a long time and then I come back. So one thing you might do if you read graphic novels is save a bunch of them so that you have two volumes of saga to read. So if you're ever in a reading slump, you're like, I've got saga in my back pocket. So you can pick that up and read it pretty easily. Another thing that worked for me is short books. Um, you know, that way I can rip through three 250 page books in a week and, you know, get some momentum there. The other thing I like to try is really step completely out of my comfort zone and ask someone for a recommendation and just read whatever it is or or listen for one, you know, I I look at the, the wheel, just spin the wheel. Like, you know, I watch our book riot contributor channels. I look at our five to watch for, and if there's anything that someone's like going crazy about, 
And I'm like, that's not for me. And that's a good sign for, for my own system, too, to say, hey, wait a minute, maybe you should think about that. You know, you're saying that's not for you, but this person's going nuts about it. Um, and you might really enjoy it. And so one that I did that with, well, right now I'm reading the, um, I can't remember the name of the trilogy. I think it's called Shades of Magic by V.E. Schwab. The last mm-hmm. um, just came out. And I was like, you know, people are raving about this. Fantasy is not usually my thing, but, you know, I'll try it. And I loved it. I'm, I'm, I'm really in, I'm in the middle of the second book, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to picking it up at night or when I have an extra 15 minutes. So th- those are my picks. Um, yeah, you know. Uh, one extra for that is poetry has been working oh, well for me. I've been. You've recommended uh, short stories before too in a similar yeah, situation. Yeah, I think, I think short stories will work for it. Um, I've been sort of tasking myself with, uh, as a gift to myself, not a task, to read like three poems a day. Um, and it took me some spinning around to figure out what kind of poetry works for me, but I've got, uh, collected works of Mary Oliver sitting on the bar in my kitchen. It's like not my office. It's not my usual reading spot. And I've been doing it after dinner, like just pausing and sitting for, you know, 10 minutes and reading a few poems. And that pause feels really nice. You put some words into your brain. Poetry has often a particularly meditative quality Mm. to it. And it gives me sort of a like quick, hit of that reading feeling, uh, but also something that I don't spend a lot of time reading. And I think poetry is best served in, in small portions anyway. So you might, you know, try that. Yep. Um, do you, do you want to move on? To I got to move. This see? one's too funny. And I can't even tell you why it's funny right now, except <laughs> that you'll understand why later. Um, this is from Joseph. He says, why is Ulysses by James Joyce so revered? I must say, I do not enjoy reading it. And Joseph, me either, buddy. I, I wish I could tell you right now why this is funny that you're asking this. Let's just say that I'm working on something. Rebecca's helping me do something that's going to come out from Book Riot this summer, and Ulysses is part of it, and uh, you'll have a longer answer to this question. I, I, that's just cage. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't want to – it's too ripe not to, like, tease, but I forwarded <laughs> this email to Rebecca when I got it, and I was like, oh, my God, they're just teeing me up. Um <laughs> So Just, that's if you really want to troll Jeff, send us an email about the Iliad. Sometime. Yeah, yeah, the Iliad. Well, this, I mean, this is spe- anyway. You'll, you'll find out. But that's also a tease about something you know stay we're working tuned. on for book rights to so stay tuned this summer. Um, but yeah, I'll have a long answer for you about Ulysses. Uh, it's on schedule for mid July, so you can look for it then. Uh, okay. All right, this next one is from Holly B. She has been a listener for a while, so thanks, Holly. And she wants to know what podcast do we listen to regularly and recommend. You want to go first? You don't really okay. listen to podcasts. I am like a huge hypocrite. I was just telling somebody mm-hmm. this, like uh, someone, my hairstylist, I was explaining, like, I host three podcasts for work. She was like, oh, what podcast do you listen to? And I was like, well, see, I'm a jerk. Yeah. Um, I go in these like short, passionate affairs with mm. podcasts. Like when we were getting ready to launch this show, I listened to a million episodes of Back to Work. Yep. Um, Merlin Mann and Dan Benjamin. Um, I Yes, I have really loved You Are Not So Smart by David McCraney. I went through a brief thing at the end of the year last year with the On Being podcast after somebody sent me a link uh, when Thich Nhat Hanh was interviewed on it. But my audio time, like my, I can't listen to audio, like to people talking while I'm working. Um, and my audio consumption time is pretty limited because I don't have a commute. Yep. And my drive like to the grocery store takes five minutes. So I and you don't that do dishes. So, you know, there's that. You yeah, I about don't. The dish. Yeah. I'm, I'm a dirt <laughs> I'm just trolling you. I'm just well, I, I, we've established I'm yeah. not a good housekeeper. Uh, so I um, mostly listen to audiobooks when I have audio yeah. time. Um, I have listened to some, what, 99% Invisible. I really liked those. Yep. 
but I go in sort of just like fits and starts or someone will send me like one good episode of planet money. And I listen to, I can take this. Um, I listen to quite a few podcasts and I, I go and like, I, uh, I go and binge, like me listening to podcasts is one of the things that got us to think about podcasts for book ride in general and back to work with Merlin man and Dan Benjamin is about productivity. You could go all the way back to the beginning of that show. I think they're, they started the show a, a while before this one. I think they're in the three hundreds. You can go back to the beginning. I think in the early episodes hold up great. And I was listening to those shows as we were putting the site together and the company together and been really influential in my own thinking. Um, there's one of the early episodes is called the second arrow of back to work, which I highly recommend Merlin. Um, I listened to a few podcasts. He's on reconcilable difference with John Syracuse. Um, I guess that's one I'm listening to recently. And he's sort of, he's kind of a podcast savant. He's so good live and spontaneous that he's a good listen and he's funny. He's an interesting, thoughtful guy. He likes books, but he's about productivity and, you know, being a better human, but also being a better, you know, worker and, you know, getting your own life uh, together. This show was influenced by another show that Dan Benjamin and um, his co-producer Hattie Cook did for a while. I don't think it's still going called The Frequency, which was this show, but for tech news. And so this show became this sh- uh, the frequency of but for books. That was the first I said, like, that's something we could do. It'd be fun. We're doing this anyway. Um, and that was the genesis for this show. The other podcasts I listened to, I listened to some tech podcasts. I listened to the talk show by John Gruber, which is about Apple stuff. Accidental talk- tech podcasts I listened to. Those are talk shows. I listened to Bill Simmons' sports podcast. Um, I think probably the best in the business when it comes to independent podcast production and talk. They're really good about that. I do Planet Money. I do 99% Visible, Radio Lab. This American Life, um, I like, there's something else, Invisibilia, they do short seasons. I really liked um, Radio Lab's short season um, called More Perfect, that was about the Supreme Court. Some of the best history audio documentary on podcast form I've ever heard, really f- outstanding stuff last year. Um, so yeah, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm into right now. Uh, Planet Money is one I've listened to for a long time, 20 minutes, comes out once a week about financial stuff. You know, that's, that's, those are my recommendations there too. Uh, let's see. Ooh, okay. Uh, what are the books that have been most influential in your life? And then do you have any favorites that you or others would consider guilty pleasures? Um, since you led mm. the last one, I'll read this one. Yeah, yeah, go on. I, I don't have guilt. I, I don't, I don't have guilt about re- reading. I don't know if it's because I feel like I do enough quote unquote serious reading that I don't have to feel like apologize or I just don't care what people think for whatever, but I don't think myself as having guilty pleasures. Now that's not to say I don't read lighter books. Um, you know, I guess would that do you think that's fair to say what my lighter yeah. reading is? Is that kind of what the um oh, well as you know from listening to the show Dan Brown, but I don't get a lot of those. So you know, <laughs> where once every three years I get one of those. I, I like to read um and, and the quality varies, I have to admit, considerably. I like Star Wars novels. That's what I go to when I'm looking for something that I want to rip through or a little lighter. Um and then let's see, I don't I think other than that. You know, I don't know if you call it, like, I when also the same genre for me falls into, I've, I've become an Agatha Christie fan. And so when I find a deal or see someone at the, li- see an Agatha Christie book at the library, that's lighter. You know, it's not, you know, about ideas or, you know, how sad everyone is or anything like that. But um, I guess that's what I go to. And then we'll come back to Influential in a minute, Rebecca. Why don't you go through what yeah. your lighter reading stuff is? Yeah, I also don't believe in guilty pleasures with books or really anything. I think if you're enjoying it, then you're enjoying it. And there's yeah. nothing to apologize for. I guess that notion. Chris is saying, or others. Would others consider yeah, my Star Wars yeah, yeah. a guilty the, pleasure? Uh, Maybe. Okay, fine. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. My lighter stuff, I cannot resist like suburban melodrama. Um, in Like The Nest? Prob- 
uh, like, well, the nest or uh, that's like a highbrow big, version of it. I guess. Yeah. Like yeah. big little lies, ah, yes. okay. um, which by the way, if you have read the book, the HBO series that's airing now is fantastic. Mm. Um, but anything, yeah. Anything about like miserable suburban people, like conniving behind each other's mm. backs, um, really works for me. Um, I love romance, uh, and I will like, I need a good thriller every now and then something that I can't guess the ending to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't feel bad about any of that. Um, yeah, but probably like my, one of my favorite sub genres for just like, I'm, I need to sit down and read something that will just have me turning the pages. I love a good, like suburban melodrama. Okay. And then why don't you start with influential books? Oh, okay. The boring first answer is Getting Things Done by David <laughs> I know. I was going to do that too. <laughs> um, but man, Which that's we probably... learned about from um, Back to Work, I, I should say. Like that's – I think that's where that came from or at least for me it did. I don't know if I pass it on to you or you – fundamentally, but Merlin clued me into getting things done by David. No, I think that you did pass it on to me in the very early days Mm. of, of book riot. Um, but in a very fundamental way, it changed my life, It changed my working life and how I think about organizing tasks and, uh, recording ideas that I have, um, Even if you only read the first couple of chapters and all you absorb is that you should write absolutely everything down, you don't carry around your to-do list in your head, Um, and that if something takes two minutes or less, just do it right now and get it over with. Your brain is Um, good at thinking. Your brain is bad at remembering. It's like one of the the top-level things about – Yeah, your brain is so bad at holding tasks that you have to complete. And paper is so good at it. It just sits there. Yeah. Yeah. And in the early days of this, like I don't know what we would have done if you and I hadn't both read. No, I don't that know book when we read it because there were only it was only us on editorial mm-hmm. plus the contributors but we were the only like employees right we're working. doing all the social media we're doing all right. of the posting and, and managing contributors there were a million there still yeah. still are a million tiny pieces of things that have to get touched every day to make book riot be what book riot is um so getting things done absolutely changed my life and it gave structure to how we think about tasks and workflow in this entire company. Mm -hmm. Um, and then on a personal level, and I've talked about it so many times on the show, um, when women were birds by Terry Tempest Williams, which for me was just the like gift from the universe of the right book at the right time that resonated, uh, with things that I had been thinking about in my own life where you have that magic moment with a book sometimes where the author gives voice to something that you've been thinking about and haven't been able to give voice to. And I just had a couple of moments with that book that it gave me words for things that I was trying to find words for. And then I was able to like to have the conversations that I needed Mm -hmm. to have or to frame my own stuff in a way that was more useful. Um, And that that book continues to be a touchstone um, for me. But those those two, a boring one and a and a really touching one. But really, those are the ones um, short of, you know, telling the story about like my dad read me The Hobbit when I was a kid. And that's the first great book memory I have. But yeah, those are tricky too. Um, influential. If I pick two. Yeah, I guess there, there's got to be – I can't think of a one when I was a kid that's like, you know, this is the one that made – you know, that was a fork in the road that led to being a book person. I can't think of what it was. Um, so I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go with the Iliad. Like, I mean, it's, I kind of joke about it, but I read that later in life when I was uh, teaching at Columbia um, and had to read it and think about it carefully to be able to teach it to undergrads who are looking for me for wisdom and infer- – which seemed insane at the time and still seems insane, but – uh, you know, it blew me away. And I don't know if I was at the right time for it. Um, but 
the thing about there's there's so I could talk about it for days and maybe at some point I'll have my own a, a sub vanity project where I just look go through chapter <laughs> by chapter of the Iliad to myself that no one will listen to, um, but you know that some so many of the thoroughgoing concerns of literature as we know it in the West and elsewhere are present, and that it was you know that it survived and it was oral and. Just, there's just so much cra- that it shouldn't exist. I mean, really, that's that we shouldn't have this thing called the Iliad. It shouldn't really exist. And that we do, and that it is so rich and varied um, and remarkable, is, I think, the best test- the best monument to the value and enduring place of storytelling that we call literature that I can think of. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the exemplar of what it can do and what it can mean um, and its endurance over time. Um, so that's that's one I would take for sure. I mean, after that, it's really hard. I, I, I'm having a hard time. I mean, Gilead has been so important to me of mm. late. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, since I read it as a devotional, as a way of being a person of um, consciousness and mindfulness and um, literary faith, so to speak, um, has yeah. been really important to me over time. Um when I was younger, uh, Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke served a similar function to me. Uh, um, the Essays of Montaigne served a similar function to me. Um, uh, Seneca, Letters of a Stoic, all, all these sorts of things that um, – some of these will be mentioned again when I get down to my Desert Island book. But books that have affirmed the value mm. of life and thinking um, and, and being present um, and feeling good about yourself and positive that the world can be better and that you can be better – those all kind of fall into the same thing. For yeah. Me. Oh, that, and that, those remind me of more. So I'll just name check yeah. a few more. Um, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, mm-hmm. Tiny Beautiful Things, uh, and Paradise by Toni Morrison yeah. is my favorite of hers about the awesome, in many senses of the word, sort of powers of women, mm-hmm. uh, among many other things. Um, but yeah, one more oh, I want yeah, to name Gilead. check too that was important to me for a lot of reasons because I had a great teacher and it got me thinking about how I thought about books in a different way is Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston became a really mm. important book for me as a student. Also, I'd approach literature and how I, you know, understood it and what it can do. It also, it's its own kind of Iliad, you know, it's told after the fact and it's about storytelling, it's episodic, you know, um, someday I'll write a, a long essay about Their Eyes Were Watching God and the Iliad, maybe that'll be my retirement project. I won't like whittle stuff out of wood, I'll write um, literary essays no one wants to read, uh, which is what academics do anyway, I guess. Um, but anyway, th- so those are some, but I think for me, it's, it, it, there's a, there's a, there's a mini syllabus of books that are about the affirming power of storytelling and telling your story, um, and that you can be a reasonable person in this screwed up world. Um, that's what matters. That's what has mattered to me. Uh, so I guess that, right. where, where we are, I lost, should we do another sponsor? Why don't yeah, you tell us then we don't have to we worry got, about them for the rest of the show. Yeah, we've got Third Love back this week. Third Love is a revolutionary, uh, bra company, uh, that is built on the mission to find you the perfect fitting bra because that can make all the difference. Um, the average woman's bra changes, changes bras, the average woman changes bra sizes six times in their lives. We go through all kinds of changes, uh, and our bodies do too. And Third Love wants you to have a comfortable bra that looks good and more importantly, that feels good no matter what your size or where you are in your life. They were developed using thousands of real women's measurements. They range in size from double A to G cups and they also offer signature half cup sizing. So if like if you're between a B and a C and you've been either spilling out or having gaping cups because you have to split the difference, they will you're you can actually get a 
half size uh, bra now. And it's just an amazing thing that they offer. No matter your body shape, you're sure to find a fit that's right for you, especially with the help from Third Love's Fit Finder, which is an awesome tool they have. It only takes 30 seconds to determine not just the best size for you, but also the best style for your body from what Third Love has available. Say goodbye to slipping straps, to side overflow. Their, uh, the hook and eye section is tagless, which I think is great for your comfort and not having like an itchy tag poking you in the back. Try Third Love today. They stand behind their products so much that they're willing to let our listeners try any bra from the 24-7 collection for free. You just pay $2.99 for shipping. You can take the tags off, wear it, wash it, really live in it for 30 days. Make sure it's your new favorite bra. If you love it, you keep it. They'll charge your card. If you don't love it, you send it back for free. That's it. Go to thirdlove.com slash book riot to get started today. That is thirdlove.com slash book riot. Go into spring and summer with a bra that makes you happy. Um, insider baseball question next. This is from Claire, mm-hmm. one of our uh, longtime listeners of the show and a book riot contributor. Um, hi Claire. Hi Claire. Thanks for writing in. It's totally kosher to have contributors write in by the way. Uh, can you tell us about the, a bit about the process of putting a podcast together? How does it all work? What advice would you have for someone wanting to start their own bookish podcast? Two excellent questions. Oh, it's like deceptively unplanned. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's studied nonchalance. Uh, I think there it, we go. The, uh, that's the, that's, um, I think that's a Rilke phrase, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, that is excellent euphemizing. Yes, it is. Well, we put it to, we put, we, when we put the show together, it's, we wanted something we didn't have to do a lot of prep for. Um, you know, it wasn't going to take a lot of production. We could get on the, the Skype together and call. So from the very nitty-gritty, we have a Google Doc that has um, now every uh, uh, podcast episode link a jumble Ever. in it. You know, it's a one huge document, which I guess we could share at some point with the listener. That'd be funny for them to see like the whole <laughs> giant thing. Um, so basically I, Rebecca does it mostly now. Um, she will put in stuff that she sees throughout the week and then I'll come in the day before if I've got other stuff. Um, when I was doing critical linking, I did a little bit more of the hounding on the front side cause I would be doing critical linking. But now that Amanda does it, I guess that's a, that's our first place to go is what we're, what did we yeah. link to this week in the show? We put it in there. Um, we both will look at the links beforehand, but we don't write anything out. We don't say who's going to lead what. Um, I really have wanted it to be, you know, kind of our first thoughts on stories, not our second mm-hmm. takes. Yeah, like, we, go ahead. We do often like not talk to each other about a uh, thing. Or on purpose, least- yeah. Right. Or if we start talking about something, we'll be like, ah, save it for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's more, it's more interesting for us to discover each other's thoughts about things this way. And it's a, it's more fun to listen to. Um, I don't write out what I'm going to say, um, or even mm-hmm. notes on anything I'm going to say about it. Um, so that's why you get spontaneous rants or, um, <laughs> bum fuzzlement or whatever else you might get. Um, we record in Skype, you know, we call each other on Skype and there's just a plug-in for Skype called call, call recorder. This is more towards the, if you want to do your own show, which you can record and split out both sides of the podcast. My brother, Kyle, who's been our longtime editor. Hello, Kyle. Thank you, Kyle. All that stuff um, for the show. You know, he's been doing it since day one. Then he takes it and puts it together, um, you know, pulls out the ad spots we need to give to our sponsors. Um, then I get the files. I put them into Libsyn, which is our podcast host. If you're interested in hosting a podcast, I recommend Libsyn. Go to Libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. Um, no promo. Um, and then... I write the post and that's it. That's kind of how it works. And we start all again the next week. That's how it works. Advice you have for someone who wants to start their bookers podcast. Don't do it by yourself. Have a regular get co-host. It. Get a good mic. Get a good mic. Um, these mics we use, I use a Blue Yeti. Rebecca uses a Rode Podcaster, which I used to use. They're 150 to 200 bucks. 
um, it makes a difference. It makes a real difference over time. People can tell. Get someone if you don't know how to edit. You know, either get good at editing. Set yourself a schedule. I think this is the hardest thing to do for if you don't, if you're not making money off it, or you don't have external commitments. Is like what's going to keep you doing it. We have to do this every week because we get paid to, and we have sponsors. And if it doesn't go out on Sunday or Monday, they get mad, and what are they going to do, and blah, blah, blah. So that's we get an external constraint. Um, it's Podcasts are interesting because you can get an audience, but you don't, you know, it, there's not a lot of interaction. So it can feel like you're talking into the void, especially if, you know, I'm assuming you're not going to have um, a big platform like we have with Book Riot behind you. So you're going to need a reason to do it. What is your reason for doing it other than you want to do it? Is it that you want to do a podcast or do you have a particular thing you want to talk about and find out more about? I think if it's just you want to have a bookish podcast, you're going to have a hard time getting motivated and finding an audience. Like I would get niche. I think podcast, one thing that's cool about a podcast, you can find a, a sub niche. If you want to talk about, you know, Claire's from the, the jo- Jolly Old England, maybe you want a podcast about British sci-fi. You can find a really dedicated audience or something that other people aren't doing. Um, but how? what's going to keep you doing it over time? Because you do, it takes a long time to build an audience. It really Yeah. Does. And I think on the getting started note, like once you have the tech set mm-hmm. up and you, you have a co-host, I would say like record a couple of them mm. that you don't plan to air yes. um, and get comfortable with each other having like having comfort and familiarity and chemistry and banter and all those things like really cannot be forced. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's okay to do some practice runs that no one listens to. Or often in, in our experience, we go into like the first round of a new thing, often saying like, we're going to record a first one and it might not ever see the light of day. And that frees you up to like not be nervous as mm-hmm. much. You can feel like it's okay to make a mistake, but we almost always do then end up airing the first thing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, right. And I, I think that that's not accidental, that mm-hmm. the knowledge that you could, that you're not going to have to show somebody the first draft, basically. But like podcasting, I think works the best when it's a little floppier than your edited writing. You know, like we we make mistakes on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get bumfuzzled. We interrupt each other. We argue about things. It's unplanned. Um, and that's much more, it's just much more authentic and that it feels authentic matters to the listeners. Yeah, I mean, the other stuff is um, if if you're going to do it, um, release it on a regular schedule. That's no no less frequent than every two weeks. If you can do it every week, that's the best because it gives you more chance to promote, but people develop habits. Um, we release this show usually Sunday nights, sometimes into Monday morning, depending on you know um, Kyle's workflow and w- where I am in my uh, chaotic life. But if we if it's not released by Monday afternoon, we, people start to get antsy, which is a good sign because they, we've come to, they've come to expect it. I a couple podcasts I listen to are fuzzier with their release schedule, and I find myself getting really irritated about that. And you don't want to irritate your people. So if you can commit to every other week, Tuesdays it's going to release Tuesday mornings every other week. That will help your listeners if you find them because it's one thing about podcasts it's hard to get someone to listen, but if someone listens, they'll listen for a long, long time. Um, so that's that's really important too. If if you can get someone to listen, make sure they're going to listen again. Make sure make it easy for them to keep listening. Uh, yeah. So there's that. All right. Good question. Thank good, you, Claire. Good. Okay. Yeah, the for... next one is from Kate. She wants to know if we were stranded on an island, what books would we want to have? Mm. Uh, she says it's impossible to pick just one. So how about five? No omnibus volumes. That's cheating, according to Kate's new arbitrary. I like that, rules. Kate. I like arbitrary <laughs> rules. That's fine with me. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Um, man, I never know what to do with this question. I feel like if do you I'm want to read my like, pot, you want me to go first? Is that what you're telling me to do? <laughs> yeah. Are you hinting? Well, or is this? I don't know what you're telling no, I'm me. Just, I am. I didn't write down answers okay. to it, so I'm thinking out loud about what I what I really would want to be. Okay stranded with well let's also i'm gonna strike out cheating from things like how to get off a desert island (laughs) okay things to eat in the tropics for dummies no no instrumental reads i'm gonna say right no like macgyver island macgyver yeah first aid for dummies none of that stuff you know none of that um and no omnibus volumes because my first answer is typically like something that i haven't read before like maybe the collected works of shakespeare Mm. because you could spend a long time reading those and taking them all apart but that would be cheating. cheating um I would take, I would definitely take Gilead because there's mm-hmm. something new in it every time. I would take Sula for the same reasons. Uh, hmm. I think I would have to take When Women Were Birds. Mm. Like I'm getting a tattoo from it. So I'm pretty sure it has to be one of my Desert Island books. Um, pretty good sign. Then, pretty good sign. Yeah. yeah. Can one of my books be like a giant blank journal? Can I? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't see why. Uh, that's Kate didn't doing. say we couldn't. So we got <laughs> okay. you, Kate. We've, we tricked you. A giant blank, blank paper. journal and uh, some huge anthology of poetry. Okay. Um, I thought about this a little bit. I'd take Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman for sure. Okay. Um, I would take the Iliad. Um, after that, I mean, you can kind of throw Gilead and... Um, uh, their eyes were watching God. Kind of, in a, you know, I pick either one would work for me. Um, you know, it's not really an omnibus volume because it's you know it's this the length of a book. But I take the complete poems of Emily Dickinson. Um, I went, you know, Native Son is one of my favorite books, but I'm trying to think like the kind of, it's it, this is different, right? Because I'm on an right. island and I'm I'm trying to find a reason to keep going, right? I guess like, that's what I'm trying. Can you read Native Son over and over? Or not, for did I say Native Son? I'm an Invisible Man. Um, I yeah, Invisible Man. Like I don't think that's what I want on a desert island, right? I think I'd be better off with, say, the complete poems of Langston Hughes, something life-affirming, right? Right. Um, that gives me a feeling of some connective, connection to, to humans. Um, I was thinking I might want something funny, but I don't know that funny holds up super great over time. Yeah, like once you know the jokes. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so that, that's, that's my area. It's like influential plus I, like really on the floor, like just keep going. Maybe Robinson Crusoe. Like, someone else did this. <laughs> yeah, right. Isn't that the worst? The, you, the Odyssey. It took 20 years, but Odysseus got home. Um, <laughs> something like that. You can do it, Jeff. You can do it. It took 20 years, but Odysseus got home. It did. Um, I, I mean, it, it's not it's real, true. but I don't know. If that's right. a, we got to keep going. Yeah, we do. Um, this is a quick one because I don't have a good answer. Uh, this is from Jane Doe. Why do you think women read more fiction than men? Is this true in other countries? I have no idea. Well, it's been true since the history of fiction. I mean, this is something I know a little bit from school is like from the beginning of the novel as being a thing in England, at least in English, that it was women's reading. Like some of it was because it was thought of not serious. It wasn't the classics, right? Which is the sexism marketing. Sexism marketing. It was the, you know, the classics and poetry, uh, especially epic and lyric poetry was the purvey of dudes. So fiction became a space for for women. Um, So I don't know if it's just been gendered from the very beginning, um, but why that is now i don't know um, yeah i will say i don't think it's that like women's brains like fiction and men's like non-fiction no i, I don't <laughs> think so either um is this true in other countries i have no idea really yeah. interesting question oh, yeah. I don't good know. question good question all uh, right okay here's on. a good one yes from, from victoria Tricky. 
she started a book club for white people about unlearning racism. And she said she expected a few folks to be interested, but not many. But this is where it gets sticky. Their first meetup is in exactly a week, and over 100 people have RSVP'd via their website. So that's an amazing problem Good to job, have, Victoria. Victoria. Yeah. Good job. But here's the question. Book club with 100 people? <laughs> How do you make this worthwhile without making it a lecture? Have we learned any tips about making book clubs sustainable? They want to do everything they can to avoid encouraging short-lived white enthusiasm in their new book clubbers. Mm. Uh, and she's also, you know, kind of working on a reading list. I will say, I think the way that you do this without making it a lecture to 100 people is breakout that's the only. That's the only, your only choice. Breakout groups, yeah. yeah. Um, and then they have miniature book clubs with each other mm-hmm. and maybe, um, you mix it up at the, like at the beginning and the end, you get people in sort of a mixer situation where they can all chat and mingle and do whatever. Like maybe you incorporate a book swap that has worked well for book clubs I've been in, in the past, but you got to do breakout groups. Basically you're going to run 10, 10 person. Mm-hmm. Book clubs. I totally agree. Um, in terms of also in, encouraging people to last, I think in this case, we talked about the last show, and we got a lot of good feedback, both book riot contributors and people writing in from this show, about why they stay in the book clubs that they do. And I think if you, like, say they get a different 10 people every time, I'm not sure that's going to work. I think it's that when they come back next time, they're going to have their same support group, basically, you know, the same 10 people, um, so that they have a miniature book group together rather than every time mm-hmm. people come you shuffle the deck of cards and redistribute yeah, i think yeah. people will find it more satisfying is if that they meet some people they like they get some rapport with and that they know next time they don't have to introduce themselves to nine new people um, yeah and maybe like doing. give them some support for ways to stay in touch yeah. like maybe have a uh, a facebook group or a slack or encourage them to something. share email addresses Right, where where they can talk to each other in between if they if they need to and mm-hmm. see you know sort of where it goes from there. Um, what would we recommend? I just read a great, well, I listened to it on audio, a great book called Tears uh, That Cannot Stop or Tears mm-hmm. We Cannot Stop um, by Michael Eric Dyson. That's a sermon to white America. He is uh, a sociologist at Georgetown and a Baptist preacher. And the it, it's excellent on audiobook, but I imagine it would be great in print as well. Re is structured like a church service um, of a black man talking to white Americans about the black experience and what you need to understand if you are a white person who wants to be an ally and to unlearn racism and to consider what the black experience is like. It's incredibly powerful. Um, as sermons tend to go, it's also very simply stated. He's not mm. trying to impress you with flowery language. He's trying to get you to hear the point and take it home with you. It's really excellent. Um, I got two suggestions from my college and grad school days. Um, actually, that either one of them could have gone into my influential reading list, especially as, you know, as I, I wouldn't characterize myself as woke, but I'm certainly drowsy. You know, I'm certainly... <laughs> I'm I'm trying not to hit the alarm the the snooze button if that makes sense. Um, and one is um, Borderlands La Frontera by Gloria Anzaldúa. Um, it's about Bestiza and being you know her theorizing basically the Texas Mexico border um, and intercultural and interracial and interlanguage mixing. Um, it really challenged me to think differently about the world and identity. And um, it's a beautiful lyric poem. There's a lot to discuss. It's interesting, too. And one that I I don't know how it holds up, but I still think about it a lot is called the Rodrigo Chronicles. And I don't remember the guy's name. Uh, he's a legal scholar that wrote it. And it's 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 um, 
for it, it, the the setup is basically as a dialogue between a professor and a, a precocious student um, that this the the professor has a, a mentorship with over a long period of time from the beginning of his education to the end and how they both you know are basically talking about issues of race and scholarship and structural racism and legal critical race theory and larger questions of race and how they challenge each other and how they can't talk to each other and they can. Um, it's an academic book. I'm sure it's still in print. You can. It, there's not. An, there's not going to be any namespace pollution with the Rogarito Chronicles. But I thought that was really interesting, and it's set up to 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 ta- take on very difficult, complicated ideas in a readable format. But also has lots of good endnotes if you want to go to the original sources. So that's one I'd recommend. Oh yeah, that rem- you jogged my memory. So I've got a couple mm. more. Um, Between the World and Me by Tanahashi. Yeah, that's Coates a good one. Short too. Would be a good one. Um, we Gonna Be All Right by Jeff Chang. I read last year or maybe early this year. I can't remember, but Chronicles sort of how Ferguson happened um, and also looks at the intentions and missteps of di- creating diversity, particularly mm-hmm. in corporations and the academic environment. Uh, really great collection of essays. Also, that's very short. Uh, and The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander about uh, mass incarceration. You know, Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay would be another mm-hmm. good one to throw in there um, because, you know, it's short, it's pop culture related. So it's, you know, you're going to have people from a bunch of different walks of life that can relate to the material in there as well. Um, would be an interesting one too. Okay, let's see. Um, this is a long one too from Sybil. It's a really good question, but I'm going to paraphrase. So basically, the idea of this question is we we need to work with the publishing industry for advertising as much as anything. Um, on the other hand, we also say stuff about the publishing industry, and how does that how does that go down? How do you have lines between editorial and so on and so forth. Um, really good question. As we've gotten larger, this is more and more of a concern. Um, and I can tell you that we have written stuff that's lost us business. I can't say any more about it than that. Um, but we've had stuff on the site. We've said things on the podcast that overtly people have said after the fact, you know, you didn't get business because of this thing, or you're not a good fit for us because you don't like this or blah, 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 or you said this particular thing. Like, I'm not sure Scribd is going to come calling anytime soon. I, you know, that, you know, we had them as a sponsor for a while and they, they left and we've said some stuff and, you know, it would be uh, an amazing show of um, uh, confidence in their product to come back at this point. Um, but on the other hand, we don't tell our contributors what to write. So your rank and file thing on the site does not consider how publishing is going to think about it at all. Now, if we have sponsored content, like a sponsored list or a sponsored theme post, we do we do take into account that the sponsor has some things, you know, we're not going to say, we're not going to swear in the middle of that. We're not going to talk crap on another author, another public, you know, just like that's the thing, that's not the thing we're going to do. But in our rank and file posting, we give contributors a lot of latitude, um, and we we say let the chips fall where they may. The thinking mm-hmm. there being, over the long haul, it's better us for to be honest and genuine. Um, that will get us more business in the end than sort of trying to be milk toast. Yeah, and you know it's gone the other way yep. as well, where we have like very heavily criticized an author. Uh, whose publisher like wasn't paying attention yeah. and then, and then had sponsored content for that author's book. And we've all had to like talk ourselves into like, mm-hmm. hold this book up on the video and smile while you read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we don't, since our sponsored content doesn't require us to pretend we're endorsing, yes. 
anything. Um, we're able to keep editorial and advertising separate in that way. And sort of the thinking has always essentially been like, this is what Book Riot is. We serve our audience the and our community best when we uh, have teeth uh, and a voice and talk about the things that we believe in. And many publishers, I think we've been in business long enough now that publishers are less afraid of it than perhaps Mm -hmm. they used to be. It's also been really interesting. Like when we first, um, a couple of years ago when we first, and then uh, like we need diverse books was first coming Mm. out. Um, when the conversation about diversity in publishing and feminism in publishing was was starting to open up, um, publishers were a little bit more scared of us, like those you know saber rattling book riot yeah, kids, right. than they are now. Like now that that conversation has gone more mainstream, I think many of our advertisers see it as an asset that when they have a book, um, you know, with yeah. a badass female main character or a trans character or a gay uh, two gay kids in a YA novel. Um, Book Riot is the place to put that because we Mm -hmm. have that community built in. So it has, uh, it's allowed us to have our perspective and to, you know, say the things that we believe are true and are important. And we've, uh, we just sort of have accepted that, like, if you don't want to be in business with us because we're fighting for something like access for people who aren't white, then that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and uh, you know, that we're not going to please everybody. We have a big enough site. Now we get criticism from all corners and some of it, you know, that I think one of the hard things, um, if you have any kind of audience at all, is figuring out what criticism to take seriously and what criticism to, to ignore. Um, that's an ongoing, I, I think I speak for both of us in that regard, is like, mm-hmm. we'll get an, if we get an email from, so, you know, a longtime podcast listener that approaches us in a, a very specific way, or not very specific way, but like, you know, a constructive criticism you know, you can tell, it, it, sometimes you can tell, okay, this I'm going to need to take seriously. And if you get a lot of feedback about a thing, but sometimes it's really hard to know. And the, the other thing I think that's hard to know is how to take praise critically. That's one thing I think is difficult. Too. Yeah, it is hard. Like, it, because of course it feels good yeah. and is validating of like, yeah, this thing that we like other people like too, but the, the how to take criticism question, like I think, uh, you know, a very timely example right now is uh, as we went through the election and now the post-election oh, yeah. coverage, we get like a, probably a dozen responses a day across social and email from people who are like, keep politics out of books. I just want to read about books. And it's like, well, OK, our perspective is that literature has always been political. Mm-hmm. Book Riot is about all of the ways that books touch our lives. That includes our p- political selves. We're going to keep doing it. So if you don't want politics in your books, you can skip those posts or you can go somewhere else. And so we've decided that that's criticism we don't care about, Um, even though there's a lot of it now, a lot Mm -hmm. more than there used to be. But sometimes there's like – it's sometimes one piece of criticism you can't brush off because it was just one person because that one person brings a perspective. But the praise – Speaks to your values or something you didn't see or, you know, it's if it stings, it's true. That's what I found. Mm-hmm. If it feels like, ah, you know, that's a really good test. Right. Um, or, oh, man, I'm disappointed in myself that yeah. I gave someone a reason to say this right, thing. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So that, that, that's, a that's what it is. It's a really good question. It's an ongoing, yeah. uh, it's an ongoing negotiation. Um, but I think we, err, we try to err on the side of, does it make the experience of being a listener, reader, subscriber to the site better? We're going to err on that side. Yeah. And, you know, that's better right. for us. Our next question is from Jennifer. She wants to know what are our zodiac signs and do our personalities match? And also, what did we want to be when we grew up? What are, your birth? Your birthday's in the fall, right? I mean, I don't uh, even know. Yeah, I'm December twentieth. I'm a Sagittarius. Right. I don't even know what that up. means. My birthday's tomorrow. Weirdly, um, 
a, I never, I never get to know when your birthday is because you don't put it on Facebook. No, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. And so that I, I'm a Pisces. I don't know what that. I mean, that's all I know. I don't know what Pisces yeah. do. They're fish, maybe. They're fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're not particularly watery. I don't know. I, I, I don't this know. is how unclued I am, I am to this stuff. Is that first I was like, wait, is this Chinese zodiac? Like yeah, that's how, I, that's how obtuse I am about this stuff. So I don't know. I'm a Pisces. She's a Sagittarius. I don't know what I that means. Yeah, I don't know if my personality matches it matches or not. You listen to the show. You can tell us. Yeah, tell us. Am I a Pisces? <laughs> is she what she said? Um, uh, what did you want to be when to grow up? You go first. I, well, first I wanted to be Mary Lou Retton. Um, oh, really? I don't think I heard that. Oh, yeah. I was super into gymnastics as a kid. I okay. was going to be an Olympic gymnast, but yeah. like, you know. We all know how that turned out. Mm. Uh, and then from my mid-teenage years on, I wanted to be a clinical psychologist. Mm. And um, I've, I think I've talked on this show yeah. about that. I went to, I majored in psychology. I went to grad school. I got a master's in clinical psychology. And on the way to the doctorate, decided that was actually not for me. But I definitely did not imagine this job. Mm. Uh, um, when I was a kid, I guess first I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Um, when I was a kid, my dad and my uncles and were in the Navy. So around, you know, when I was a kid, you know, around, he was a flight surgeon, so around jets a lot. And I thought that would be cool, but it turns out that I have bad hand-eye coordination, bad vision, a little bit of vertigal, and I'm 6'4". So when it comes to being a fighter pilot, you, it would be very difficult to, to construct a human, uh, a fully functioning human male that's less you're uh, just- suited to being a fighter pilot. Ticking all the wrong boxes. Yeah. So that, uh, and then, uh, you know, as in high school, this sounds weird, but I'm not trying, I had any particular, I knew I wanted to go to college and that's really what I was focused on is getting into in college and doing well. When I started college, I started out as a pre-med major. Um, again, my dad and my uncle were doctors and that looked like the good life and something you could do. And it was interesting. Um, and I, you know, but on the other hand, I was taking junior Shakespeare as a freshman and so the literature bug was there from the beginning, um, and what, organic chemistry was sort of the coup de grace for my pre-med studies. Like, this is for the birds. I'm not touching this. And then I went to grad school and wanted to be a teacher, and I was a teacher for a while, which I liked. Um, but academic job markets are hard, and I sort of fell in love with the idea of the bureaucracy of, you know, spending your life in the library. And so then, then, then that goes back to the earlier question of, you know, why book writers like looking something else to do in books that I could get excited about. And that's where I ended up. Um, I would have been a decent doctor. I'm glad I didn't do it, but I could have done that. I'm just, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, which my question is when you're feeling really crappy, this is from Lily. What is the book you read for the millionth time? What particular author you books for soothing purposes? I don't do this at all. I don't reread stuff. Not for soothing purposes. Every once in a while I'll go back and read something for interest or if I want to write something, but I don't, I don't go back and reread first for yeah, feeling when, good about stuff. When I'm feeling crappy, I cook something mm. really involved and listen to Aretha Franklin very loud and then go for a walk. Yeah. I watch Parks and Rec reruns. <laughs> yeah. Or Michelle and I have a whole bunch of movies that we've watched a million times. And I, we have this, that's what I, when I'm feeling oh, crappy, yeah, yeah. it's old movies. Yeah, or I'm watching like Pitch Perfect for the millionth time, yeah. and it's like, okay, well, you know, she had a hard day. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Let's we can we got two more. I think we can do this. Uh, long time. Uh, oh, okay. So it's someone who wants to have a career in publishing, but she's worried, Kathy, about she's very possessive of reading life. I fear from what I hear, people know have bookish jobs. Large chunk of your free time is spent reading books. You, you are sent that you need to read for your years. Be able to talk about through your workday. Struggle with. Po- so let me let me um, assuage your concerns in a very um, disheartening way, 
maybe. Most of <laughs> publishing jobs are not about reading books. Unless you're what, an editor or an agent, right, Rebecca? Or like a publicist, but even then you're probably even not then. reading absolutely everything. And if you're yeah. a book reviewer, you're like re- you're reviewing one book a week. So, you yeah. know, if you read more than that, the age I think the age really it's the agents and acquisitions editors. Those are the mm-hmm. people that are really in their neck deep in reading manuscripts all the time. But if you're an acquisitions editor or an agent, you're often reading only the first 50, 100 pages of something. Like you, you're doing a lot of triage. But this idea that there's some jobs in publishing where you've got to read 200 novels a year all the way through kind of doesn't exist, right? Yeah. I mean, am I wrong yeah, about I that? Don't, no, I don't think it does. Um, and like I know some cover designers read everything all the way through. Like Pete that Mendelsohn does, but he doesn't design right. 200 covers a year. Right, and also he's a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, he is a unicorn. Don't you can't if you're if you're using Pete Mendelsohn as your life right. model, the, you, you're barking up the wrong tree. That no one. <laughs> you're just going to be so disappointed. Yeah, you can be someone awesome, but it's hard to be awesome in precisely the same way that Pete Mendelsohn is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, this is. We get shades and like variations of this question a lot. Like, do you yeah, ever do. wish that you could read whatever you wanted? And like, I can, I can sort of answer this because my reading is largely guided now by what's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Since I'm reading for hosting all the books about new releases, um, so I. But do you sometimes... still get to let pleasure be your guide among that, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like I'm looking, you know, at what's coming out on March 14th, but I choose whatever of those releases look interesting to me. Um, And Liberty and I wanted to have freedom and to maintain the fun of the show from the very beginning. So we set it up to give ourselves that movement also of like, if there's only one new release on March 14th that I want to spend time reading, I read that, I talk about it, and then I read whatever else I want. And we talk about those things on the show too, or we talk about things that are out this week um, in paperback that came out last year. So my reading is a little guided or, or actually kind of largely guided by what's coming out soon. But once I look at that selection, I pick whatever I want that sounds good and interesting. Um, I do go on sort of backlist binges or there are times when I just like, well, I I was planning to be reading this book this weekend and I just can't make myself do it. So I'm going to read this other thing instead. Um, I think, you know, you'd be, you would give up some of your reading time for assigned reading. Yeah, probably. That's fair to say. Um, But you, you still get more control of it. Yeah, um, but even if, I mean, trying to think that you're going to read enough that you're up on quote unquote books is a is a a, a pipe right. dream. That's like trying to drink the ocean. Like even right. Liberty, like she still misses stuff. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, who reads more? Who reads more than? I mean, I, I dare you to find someone that reads more than Liberty, and maybe you can find it. But even that person is going to say, "Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff I haven't read. There's a bunch of stuff I missed." So, like trying to read for like general book world knowledge is. Uh, yeah. it's like it's it's like trying to map the ocean by yourself. Like it's just not going to happen. So, whatever reading you're doing for your job is going to be super specific to what your gig is. Mm-hmm. Um, may, maybe I guess if you're a publicist that works with a specific author, you should read their books. And maybe some of the reader likes. Maybe, but you know what? I don't even think it, I don't even think it works yeah, like that. Even- I think one of the well, one of the things that's buried in Kathy's question too is that she is worried about the possibility of 
experiencing a detachment from books in general if her job were to uh, keep her from reading the things that she wants. And I'll tell you, Kathy, that's why I didn't major in English. Right. Like I had this fear that if I had to spend four years studying English and then go get graduate degrees in it or make it my job, um, that it would somehow like zap the love of it. But I have ended up in a job that is entirely about thinking about right, books. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, and so for me, that has not been the problem. It did not zap my love of it at all. Like it, it makes you, for, it makes me a little cynical about things. Like how you experience being mm-hmm. a reader is different. You know, like walking through a bookstore and picking up books and looking at the blurbs on them holds no magic and a whole lot of like, oh, I wonder if they're agents or friends. And that's how his name got on yeah. this blurb uh, kind of moment. But I, I, there are so many books and you can, you will most likely end up in a situation where you get to choose most of the things that you spend your reading time on, unless you want to be an agent, uh, in which case that's just some, like that's math just, that you're going to yeah, have to do. That's a different deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in terms of getting jaded, but I mean, you definitely, when you know a lot about how the sausage is made, again, we're not, we're not waist deep in the book production world, but we know enough and we see enough books and we know authors and things that we know how that is an industry and it's a business like anything else. But the thing that remains, the song that remains the same is you read a book that knocks you out, it still knocks you out. If you read mm-hmm. a book that you love, you're still going to love it. Um, you probably will have some disillusionment in terms of like magic and authors or unicorns or whatever, which frankly is just the truth, right? You're just learning yeah. the truth about it. So I don't, I'm not someone who thinks you should be afraid of the truth, but I think the thing that's remarkable, and it kind of goes back to the Iliad for me in a little way, is that the thing still can hit you over the head with a baseball bat in the right, you know, you still can yep. get um, smacked over the head with the right book at the right time and the right author, and even though if you know what all goes into it. So that that spinning molten core of why you look books, why you love books, I think will probably still stay there. At least it has for me. Um, all right. Last one. I'll save the hardest one for last. Yes. And this is a good one for last. This is from Colleen. Yeah, very specific a, and very difficult. It's a variation on uh, Fox, Mary Kill. Yes. And she says, here are the three authors. We get Toni Morrison, Marilyn Robinson, and Dan Brown. But <clears> the variation <throat> is you have to choose one that will never write again. One that will release only one more book, but it will be the best of their career, and one that will put out a book every two years for the rest of your life. I know what my answers are. <laughs> well, so I'm kind of cheating because, <laughs> well, some of these people are older than some of the others. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm getting at? Like uh-huh. Dan Brown, every two years, I'm looking at you know 15 more Dan Brown novels. Yep. Well, Tony, as much as we love her, uh, I mean. Even if she lives to 100, that's like three more books. I mean, four more. So that's tricky. So uh, if, we're, if, we're, if we're being strategic, I pick – I think I, what I do, if I, if I take the ages of the people into account, this is how I go. Ta- Dan Brown, I take two bo- a book every two years for the rest of his life because mm-hmm. I'm going to get 10 more Dan Brown novels. I think for Marilyn, I'd let it, let it lie. You know, I've got okay. the trilogy. You know, that's a work. I can go back to that like I can go back to the Iliad. And then I pick Tony for the one that's the best because what I know there is that the differential of like how good that book is going to be is insane because you're telling me that book's going to be better than Beloved or Paradise or Song of Solomon, right? Which Mm. is an all-timer. Like, so I'm going to get an all-time book if I pick one from Tony Morrison. So that's how I break it down. Now, if you tell me that they're all going to live another 20 years, I'm in real trouble. I don't know where to go with that. (laughs) Do you see what I'm doing? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I'm doing Dan Brown also for a book Mm. every two years for the rest of my life. That's 
that's about how often I want to read a Dan yeah, Brown book. Right. And that sounds delightful. And we know exactly what to expect. Um, I would take Tony for never writing yeah. again, because I think I love the idea that she might make something that would be ultimate and better than beloved. But um, my reading experience of her so far has been that like, we have seen the best of Toni Morrison. Well, the, but Colleen's saying it will be. You, you don't have to okay. guess. Like it is, it would be better than Beloved or or, um, okay. or Song of Solomon. But I'm answering an easier question. Yeah, Jeff. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I have gotten, I have gotten Toni Morrison, mm. and like there, and there's so many of them. You know, she's written more books than Marilyn Robinson. Yeah. I could spend a lot of life rereading Toni Morrison, and that would be fine. Mm. The um, and then this is wide. Yeah. Yes, and I would like one more. Really amazing, Marilyn Robinson. Because with Marilyn, you've got um, four novels and two books of essays, right? Mm-hmm. With Tony, you've got some essays and you've got what nine or ten? You got I had twelve novels now. Yeah. I think. Um, I think that the Tony every two years is not the ideal mm-hmm. for me. Just looking at the, what's come out the last. I mean, I love the books; they're really interesting, but you know, they're not on the par with the stuff earlier, you know, the big novels from earlier. I think that's, I think most people will read Tony mm-hmm. Morrison. Again, this is, this is, we're grading on a very, very hot, you know, <laughs> very difficult bar here. So it's, it's, it sounds like I'm down on it, but I'm really not. It's better than oh, 90% no. of everything that comes out. But, you know, it, I, I, yeah, it, it's tricky. What's interesting that I think the thing about Dan Brown is, is that we, you know, we're not going back to read Inferno. We're not going back to read Da Vinci Code. So what we need is a, we need more. Right, mm-hmm. you need something. You're like you're not taking Dan Brown to the deserted island because you yes. already know how all the puzzles. Turn In order out. for me to have a future with Dan Brown, I need more books. For for me to have a, a reading relationship with Tony Morrison, Marilyn Robinson, I don't need more books from them. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of set. So it's really a question of like, how are you going to squeeze out a little something extra from them? Uh, really good question, Colleen. That's thank a you good so one, Colleen. thank you so much thank for you. writing in. Thank you all so much for writing in for listening. We really do appreciate. We enjoy making the show. We hope to be doing it for a long time. Um, And we'll be back with regular news and ranty stuff next week. (laughs) Have a good one. (laughs) 